Thanks for watching this video from Cherry Hills Church. During this series, we want to spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. So I want to ask you a question. What is the most memorable call you have ever received? Young people, just so we're on the same page, a call is the part of your iPhone that you no longer use, right? Uh, Maybe it was a call from a doctor with good news. Maybe it was a call from a doctor with not so good news. Maybe it was a call from that college you were hoping to get into. Maybe it was a call from a long-lost relative that you haven't had a chance to connect with for a long time. Maybe it was a call from the Illinois Lottery telling you you won $10 million. I don't know. I've had a number of memorable calls, but by far the most memorable call I've ever received, I was at a conference with Pastor Jeff, and I got a call from my wife who informed me that she was pregnant with our first child. Certainly that is a call I will not ever forget. This morning, as we continue our series working through the Gospel of Mark called The Way of Jesus, we come to one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's a story of a different kind of call. It's the call of Levi, or you probably know him better by his name, Matthew, to become a disciple of Jesus. And in this story, we get to learn a little bit about the way of Jesus and the way his kingdom works and how it's different from other kingdoms, as Brian talked about a couple of weeks ago. And I believe this story is just as relevant for us today in this room as it was for the people who experienced it way back then. And so if you haven't already, I'm going to encourage you to grab a Bible, turn it to Mark chapter 2. We're going to be looking starting at verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, we say it every week. We have some available in the seat there underneath you. I'd love for you to grab one of those, follow along. If you don't own your own Bible, we'd love to give that to you as a gift today. Take that home with you. Now, I'm going to break this text down, even though it's like five verses into two parts, because it does that for us already. And the first part is, I really want to ask us this question. What does it really mean to be a Christian? Like, what does that really mean? And Mark's going to talk about that, starting in verse 13. So we'll pick it up right there in verse 13, where it says, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, if you use notes, would you read verse 14 out loud with me there on your notes? It says, As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, I'm going to pause here because there's so much in this one verse that I want to unpack. The first thing we need to understand, though, is who exactly is Levi? Or again, his name is Matthew. Levi was a tax collector for the Roman Empire. Now, here's how the Romans collected their taxes. They would bid out tax collecting to the highest bidder, right? If if you wanted to collect taxes, you would bid a certain amount of money, and then they would assess certain regions how much taxes you would have to collect from that region. If you were able to collect more than what they assessed, that all went to you. Now, we got to understand The people of Israel were under heavy, heavy taxation. Yes, even heavier than the state of Illinois. They paid taxes on everything. You have to pay a tax to use roads for docking and harbors, import and export taxes, sales tax on certain items. I found this interesting. If you had a cart and you were using your cart, you could be taxed on each wheel of that cart. 
And so no wonder the people, when they think about a Messiah coming, they were hoping for this great military figure to kick out these Romans because this tax thing caused tons of extortion and pain. A tax collector had the privilege to stop anybody they wanted to on the road. They could demand that you open up your bag and he could tax you on whatever was in your bag to whoever his heart's content. Now, good news. If you couldn't afford the tax, guess what? You could take out a loan from that tax collector at an exorbitant rate. So do you think tax collectors were well-liked? The the crazy thing is, tax collectors were actually Jewish people. They weren't Romans. They were Jewish people who basically sold out to the Roman Empire, and they did not receive liking. The only thing I can think about is a spy, right? A spy in our country. When we find out somebody's spying uh, against our country, we're like, how could they possibly do that? Many tax collectors were excommunicated from the local synagogues because they were hated so much. So I'm saying all of this because I just want you to picture, right? Levi, Matthew, the lowest of the low in Israel. And so now you understand a little bit just how radical it is that Jesus calls this low life to follow him and become his disciple. His kingdom is not like other kingdoms, is it? Notice Jesus' words here. It says, he saw Levi, in the Greek tense, suggests this wasn't just one-time thing. Oh, he saw Levi. No, he's been watching him. He's been observing him over time, and he offers him just two words. Follow me. Picture this. Picture your Matthew or your Levi here. You're at your desk. People are coming up to you. You're, they're paying you something. They hate you while they're doing it. You're working in your ledger book. You're figuring out how much you're scamming off these people, how early you can retire. And bam, Jesus, this rabbi comes and says two words, follow me. Friends, as simply as I can put it, this is what it means to be a Christian. If you're following on your notes, a Christian is someone who has been called. Someone who has been called from something into something else, into something new. A new way of life, new life in Christ always, always begins with a call. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus calling people to follow him. Don't miss this because this is how it works. He is the one who initiates the relationship. He is the one who pursues people. He shows up in people's lives and he extends this invitation. Some people receive the invitation, but if you read the Gospels, some people don't take it. None of the calls we read about are the same. So we got to be careful when we talk about the call today to follow Jesus. It doesn't fit in this nice, neat package or formula. Everybody's call is a little bit different. There's no method. There's no formula. You don't have to pray that prayer at a certain time in your life. Some people go through a process of a call. For some people, it's instantaneous. However, there are at least three things that are similar in every person's call. And I just want to walk through these. We see it right in this verse. We are called, number one, to follow a person, not an idea. This is huge. Jesus comes into a person's life, maybe into your life, and he says, follow what? Me. He doesn't say follow that idea. He doesn't say follow this religion. He doesn't say follow these rules. He doesn't say follow that teacher or that pastor. He does not say follow this religion. He says, follow me. 
I love how Pastor Tim Keller explains this. I have this quote on the screen if you want to follow along. He says, let me be as frank as I possibly can. When people are investigating Christianity, I will never be very patient with this question. They'll say, well, I'm interested in Christianity, but what is the Christian view of this? What's the Christian view of that? What's the Christian view of marriage? What's the Christian view of doing this or that? I know what they're saying. They're saying, I'm interested in Christianity, but I also want to feel I'm able to do what I want. You know, I don't want it to be too narrow. I want to live, be able to live my life. Can Christians go to certain kinds of movies? Can they indulge in certain kinds of artistic productions and all that sort of thing? And then Keller says, here's the words. When you ask that question, you're on the wrong scent. Because the Bible says always, first, 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 you have to decide who he is before anything else. I just can't explain how important this is for us today, right? People want to say, I'm not going to deal with Jesus until I know how Jesus is going to deal with me now. That's not how it works. Always, always, always to be called, the first question is, is Jesus who he says he is, period? That's the question you must answer. And if he is, if you're following on your notes, if Jesus is who he said he is, then he is the authority of all things, including your life. All those ideas, all these questions we have, and questions are good things, all these issues that I want to line up with my beliefs, they become secondary. You can figure out what Jesus teaches about those things. But do you realize how ridiculous it is to approach Jesus and say, well, I want to know your view on these issues first before I follow you, right? Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Is Jesus Christ the King of Kings? Is Jesus Christ the way and the truth and the life? Once you settle that question, you can bring all your other questions. But it always starts with the person of Jesus. Nowhere in the New Testament, when a person is called by Jesus, do we see them laying out conditions for following him, right? We don't see in verse 15, Levi going, all right, well, let me think about it. First, can you tell me your ideas on the recent tax laws here in Israel? No, they follow him because he becomes their authority. He becomes their Lord. That's the word we use. And everything else will fall into place for them, for you, for me, after that. Of course, there are some people Jesus invites to follow him who reject it. But even they know, even they know it's an all or nothing thing when it comes to Jesus. He is either king or he is not. That is the call. If the Holy Spirit is really after you, and by the way, you will know if the Holy Spirit is really after you. You cannot escape him. If you're really meeting the real Jesus, you got to come to grips with the authority question in your life, period. You must figure out who he is, and then you're going to decide how you're going to relate to him. Is he going to be my king, or am I going to be my king? Is he going to be my Lord, or am I going to be my Lord? Am I going to follow him or not? And then after you figure that out, after you make that decision, all these other things that we worry about and think about and wonder about, they fall into place because the authority question is the most important question. If he is who he says he is, and if you were here last week, one of the things he said is that he's the God who can forgive sins, as Brian showed us. Then we get with his agenda, period. Have you heard Jesus say to you, follow me? 
Maybe this morning is the first time. Maybe this morning you've come to church your whole life and you recognize maybe Christianity isn't just about getting more religious or getting more spiritual or a bunch of set of rules. It's actually fundamentally comes down to this question, who is going to be the authority of your life? Is it Jesus or is it something else? It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Back in my professional poker playing days, thanks for laughing. You guys all know this saying, right? If you've got a hand that's just so good, what do you do? You go all in. You put all your chips in, right? You don't hold anything back. You don't say, well, I'm going to keep a few of these chips. No, it's going to be worth it. The payout is going to be great. That's the decision we make. I'm going all in with Jesus. If he is who he says he is, I'm going all. I'm not going to save these chips. These questions, these issues, I don't want to align with him. I'm putting all the chips in because he's my authority. And that's really the second characteristic of being called or being a Christian. To be called means giving up complete control of our lives. Or if you're following, we are called to leave everything. No hanging on to those things we want to hang to. We're called to be everything. Leave everything. We have some firemen and firewomen in our church. And I was just thinking about this this week, right? They're at the fire station and they're living their normal lives at some point, right? They're cooking. Uh, They're eating, they're sleeping, maybe they're playing games, they're doing all this stuff, but what happens the moment the bell rings? Bam, just like that. They leave everything behind because they have been called. They've been called to their job, and in the same way, friends, right, we don't have control anymore if we've chosen to follow the person of Jesus Several times, Jesus gets clear about this in the gospel. For example, in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple, and it's the same idea, whoever wants to follow me, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life from me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. If you're following, you stop running your life and give complete control to Jesus. And here's the thing. No grumpy faces. We do this happily. We do this joyfully because we know he is better than anything this poor world can offer us. What good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit our soul? That'd be a good place for an amen. I was just reading in Psalm 63 this morning, no joke, David writes, your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. Do you believe that? His love is better than life. He is worth leaving everything for. Matthew believed it. He got up, left everything to follow this person, and his whole life changed. And that's really the third characteristic of being a Christian, of being called. If you're following, being called results in radical life change. Listen, you may have believed in Jesus. Maybe you believed in Christianity your whole life. You've gone to church your whole life. But you may not have ever truly responded to the call of Jesus because there's no change in you. 
There's no difference between you and everybody else in this world. Life change always happens with a call. As the saying goes, right? You've heard this. The proof is in the pudding. Now, I have no idea what that actually means. Do you? But I think we know the idea behind what it means. Now, here's how you know you've been called. You start to find this sense growing in you that Jesus is the most important thing in my life. That my relationship with him is the most important thing in my life. Remember, we're following a person, not an idea. So it's a relationship. It's the ultimate thing. Everything else starts to take a backseat. Everything else starts to become second. And when that's really taking place in our lives, we will start to see some change. Paul writes about this in Colossians 1 verse 6. He writes, in the same way, the gospel, the good news is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Mm. When a person has been called by Jesus, fruit will begin to grow in their lives. It's not, well, I understand Christianity and its basic tenets. Now I just got to work harder to kind of prove that I believe these things. No, that's not what Paul says here. Paul says when a person is really called into a relationship with Jesus, a real Christian, when they're all in, they'll begin to bear fruit in their lives that you can't do on your own. You're kind of like, whoa, where did this change come from? Why do I care about this now? Life change begins to happen naturally, just like fruit grows naturally. Your desires will start to change. Your decisions will change. The way you do your marriage will change. The way you raise your kids will change. The way you handle your money will change. The What you watch on television or in the movie theater, it's going to change. The way you view other people, it will begin to change. Friends, we're following a person who said, abide in me and you will bear much Fruit. Listen, as I talked about in the very first Sunday of this year, that's your only job. Follow me, abide in me, and then I'll begin to work this change in your lives. Don't fret, don't feel shame or guilt that that's not happened. You got one job, follow me. If you're following, our only job is to follow Jesus and he will produce fruit. So let me challenge you, have you seen any fruit? Any evidence? When I first started to truly understand my relationship with Jesus, one of the first things I was convicted about was how judgmental and gossipy and slanderous I was. I was terrible. This was in high school. I was terrible. I would talk about people behind their backs all the time, sometimes even right in front of them. That's not the way of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 no. That's not how you follow this person Jesus. And by God's grace, he began to work that in my life. Are there still other things he needs to change in me? Absolutely. I can't do that on my own though. I abide in him more deeply and he begins to reveal that and help me and provide the fruit there. Friends, a real Christian is someone who has been called to follow the person of Jesus. Someone who has been called to leave everything And someone who is starting to see life change happen in their lives because they are following in his way. This is the invitation Jesus gave to Levi. Follow me. It's the same invitation he's still giving to every person today. Follow me. Are you? Are you just coming to church? Are you checking off the Bible every morning? 
Or are you following this person who offers you a brand new way of life, who's worth everything? If you're following on your notes, if you're not following him, just ask, what's keeping you from following Jesus today? Now, I could end there, but I love what happens next in this story. Let's look at verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. I like Luke's version of this. He gives a little bit more detail about what's happening here. Can we read it out loud on your notes there in Luke? It says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. I love this. Levi wastes no time. He's been given the greatest gift he could ever be given, and he throws a party. This, incidentally, gives us some idea of his wealth and how much he's probably going to leave behind. Why does he throw a party? Why? So that his fellow tax collectors can meet this incredible person, Jesus. We see change beginning to happen almost immediately. Isn't it interesting that when Levi is called to follow Jesus, he can't wait to tell his friends about him. He really does believe this is the greatest thing that's happened in his life. Don't we all do this with things we love? If you find a video online of with a cat doing something so cute, what do you want to do? I got I to gotta show this to them. I got to share this with, oh, I know who's going to love this, right? We all have this tendency to share things that we love. Levi is the same way. He wants to share this incredible thing that has happened to him. If you're following, Levi hosts a party so his friends can meet Jesus. I've got to share this. This is the way it was with Andrew, too. As the Apostle John records in John chapter 1. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. Two examples of people too excited not to share the good news that has transformed their life. Levi's heart has been transformed. Fruit is already being born. Now, I love trying to picture the scene here. Here he is. Just picture Matthew. Picture Levi at his house, right? He's invited all his Christian friends and all his non-Christian friends. And they're bumping up against each other. They're starting to have conversations with each other. And Levi's over there by the checks mix bowl praying, Lord, please do something. Do something in the lives of my friends who don't know you. Do something like you've done in my heart But as we see, unfortunately, the tax collectors and sinners aren't the only ones who are at this party. Let's look at verse 16. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Right? What are they doing here? Bunch of party poopers. Well, meals in Jesus' time were a little bit different than our time. Houses were much more open. The meals would have been shared probably outside. So it was more of a public event at some point. And so these Pharisees are sort of watching what's going on here. Last week, Brian, if you were here, did an awesome job introducing us to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. As we learned, give them some credit, right? 
They're deadly serious about following the law of Moses. And the law of Moses had some pretty strict rules when it came to purity. They believed, and you can see this in the Old Testament, right? That they must set themselves apart from things that would make them unclean, including people, including objects. I was thinking about this with our son, Will. Ever since I got my kidney transplant, my son has been on me about purity. If I touch something that could contaminate me, he says, Dad, make sure you wash your hands. And I appreciate, right? He wants me to stay pure, to stay healthy. It's the same idea here. The Pharisees got a pretty bad rap in church history, and for good reason, but let's give them a little bit of break. They really were interested in purity, which is a good thing. We're called as followers of Jesus to seek purity. Unfortunately, if you're following in your notes, in their desire for purity, they lost God's heart for others. Can that ever happen to us? Can religion ever do this? I mean, I haven't seen any of this in the last couple of years. Have you? With COVID? No. Can religion ever divide people into good and bad people? Listen, Levi is a classic example of bad people, right? The Pharisees, they're the rule keepers. They're the good people. This desire to divide people into categories is in every single one of them. We do it when we say things like, well, there are little sins and there are big sins. I do little sins and so I'm a, a good person, right? I mean, everybody makes mistakes. To err is to human, but they, they do big sins and they're bad people. This is religion at its core, dividing people into good, into bad, into categories. And of course, guess what category we always find ourselves in? I'm in the good category. Jesus partly came to confront this kind of religion, this kind of segregating people into categories. And how does he do that? I love it. He associates with lepers and outcasts and sinners. He even goes to dinner at a house full of tax collectors. This enraged the Pharisees because they were the bad people. The Pharisees were the good people. Can we just admit we do the same thing? So they approached the disciples and said, why is he eating with these bad people? Jesus hears this and he responds in maybe the most wonderful words in the gospel of Mark. This is Jesus' mission statement in a nutshell. Let's read it out loud together in verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Why does Jesus eat with these bad people? with the tax collectors and the sinners because he's like a doctor and he can't do his work unless he associates with those who are sick. His job, he says, is to call sinners to repentance, not to hang out with people who don't think they need any cure. Jesus has come not for those who think they have no need of him, but for those who know they need him and welcome him. As a result, Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors because they know that only he can offer them what they really need. The first step towards healing is admitting we are sick and we need a cure. Since I already talked about my kidneys, I'll do it again. I knew my whole life that I had a kidney disease and I spent all kinds of time in university hospitals and doctor's offices and the whole time, what would they do? 
They would treat the symptoms of the disease that I had. But my whole life, I knew the only cure to this disease was a new kidney. And the same is true for our spiritual healing. As Brian talked about last week, the disease every human being has is sin. We're born with it. The result of that is sins. Sin leads to death. That is every human being's main sickness, main problem. Everything else that goes wrong in our lives, all the problems, all the pain, all the crying, all the weeping, all the wars we're seeing right now are the direct result of this sin. And we can try to address the symptoms, but it never works. We've got to get to the root problem. And Jesus' message right here is we need a heart transplant. If you're following, the only cure to the disease of sin is a new heart. The Pharisees are blind to their religious sickness. They're breaking people into categories of good people, bad people. They thought righteousness was based on living a good life, being part of the right group, reading the right version of the Torah, going to the right synagogue. They're addressing symptoms without being willing to go to the root cause of their problem. The sinners, the tax collectors, the least of these though, they know. They really know. They've got no chance apart from a heart transplant. Jesus explained this in his very first words in his most famous sermon. In Matthew 5, verse 3, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for those are the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? You'll be cured of your most significant disease when you recognize there's no other cure apart from Jesus. Blessed are those who recognize they're spiritually bankrupt. That apart from anything else, I've got no hope. You're blessed when you recognize and you come to Jesus and say, friends, and say, Jesus, I need you. You're my only cure. Friends, if we're not careful like the Pharisees, we can be Christianized right out of Christianity. We can think that it's our actions or our church attendance or you fill in the blank that can make us well. Bible says all that stuff is like filthy rags to God. Why? Because they're bad things? No. Because we use them to cover up the symptoms of what we see in our life instead of getting to the root cause of what's really going on. So again, I'll just ask you straight up, have you dealt with the root cause of your life? Are you still practicing religion? Have you come to the only one who can heal you? His invitation is as real today as it was for Levi in this day. Follow me. Acknowledge your spiritual bankruptcy. And I'll give you a new heart. I will heal you now and forever. Now friends, as we close, let me just remind you of the series we're using for this, uh, the sentence we're using for this series, right? We want to spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. So what does this story teach us about living the way of Jesus besides the fact that we learn he came to heal us? Well, I think it's pretty simple. If you're following on your notes, the way of Jesus was to hang out with those who needed him. And those called by Jesus, like Levi here, we too, if we want to follow his way, must hang out with those who need him. 
I'll put it this way again if you're on your notes. If calling sinners to healing was Jesus' mission, it becomes ours too. It's ours too. That's what it means to follow him, to do what he did, to care about the things he cared about. So do you recognize right now that there are men and women right in your life path like Levi who are spiritually sick and dying all around of us? I think too many of us have gotten to this point. I do this where I just assume, well, they're fine. They're okay. In the end, it'll all work out for them. Someone else will deal with them. Jesus is the only cure to the sickness of sin and death. As Paul writes in Romans 1, verse 16, can we read these out, this verse out loud together? It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. We have the power of salvation. And our responsibility is to make it available to the rest of the world. Did you read last year that they came up with a cure for malaria? I thought this would be a bigger news story. It's like, wow, that's incredible. And of course, in other parts of the world where that's still a big thing, like they want to get that to everyone. You can cure people of malaria. We have the cure to the sickness of humankind. And we want to get that to everyone. Here's the good news. Our only job is to make it available. Jesus is the one who does the calling. Right? That's why I love this story. Levi just gets it. He doesn't leave his old life behind and say, later, folks. No, he recognizes, I've received something so good, I've got to share this with other people. And so he throws a party for his lost friends. I think we can learn a lot from his example here. He finds a casual way, a non-threatening way to introduce people to Jesus. He grabs some of his church friends. He grabs some of his non-church friends. He throws a party together with them. I'm sure he was scared and nervous about what was going to happen. I'm sure he's thinking in his heart, I sure hope Peter doesn't say something stupid tonight. (laughs) But he took the risk. I got to tell you, that is the way the cure spreads. Ordinary people like Levi, ordinary people like you, yes, you, ordinary people like me, taking the risk to share the good news with others. So what if we did? What if like Levi, you threw a party? What if you just invited someone to dinner or to lunch or to coffee? What if you, as a life group, threw a barbecue and invited some of the people in the neighborhood where you're meeting? What if, because of one simple party, one party, one invitation, one risk you take, one person, one person follows Jesus? Would it be worth it? Yes, it would. Here's what I want to tell you. Did Levi have any specialized training yet? Was he an apostle not yet. He wasn't qualified for this. In fact, he was the least likely person (laughs) who'd want to go to a party from a tax collector. Let's be honest. We do this though, right? I don't have the gift of evangelism. You don't have to. You don't have to, to create an opportunity for other people to encounter the God who healed your life. If we want to live the way of Jesus, we need to hang out with those who need him. Everything's at stake here. So as we close, here's the question I'm going to ask you to consider. We're going to have some space during communion together right now. With whom and how can I extend Jesus' invitation? Now, three weeks ago, we talked about the with whom quite a bit. 
Who has God placed in your normal everyday path? I think you can think of those people already. So here's my challenge to you as you pray. How? How can you take one risk this next month to reach out to someone God has placed in your path to at least help them to encounter Jesus. Maybe it's invite them to church. Maybe it's just, I'm going to go for them. I'm going to ask them to coffee. And there may not even be a conversation about Jesus, but at least you took a step towards that. Maybe it's meeting the new neighbor next door. I don't know. Maybe, like I said, it's taking out your earplugs at the gym. I finally tried doing this, and I had a conversation with somebody who was working out. It was amazing. I took the risk. So as we prepare for communion, that's my challenge to you, right? We, as James says, we don't want to just listen to the word of God. We want to be doers of the word of God. And I want you to consider, what could I do? What could I do right now? One way this month that I could extend the most incredible news to someone I love, to someone God has put in my path. Let's pray. Lord, it's so easy for us to just fall in this mindless routine. Go to church, go to work, go home. But you've called us to something more. You've called us to follow you, to leave everything. And we want to bear fruit. part of that is like Levi thinking about the people you've put in our path and how we can introduce them to the healing that Jesus offers. Wash away the Satan's, Satan's attacks of fear, insecurity. Remind us it's you and you alone that can cause someone to recognize who you are, but you have called us to be instruments in that, ambassadors of your gospel. So as we think about how we can do that, let's not think about it, but let's do it this week, Lord. Help me to do it this month, this week, whenever. To take that risk. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like more information, visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. 